I think it started in my 30s, and it began as something that I would just accept, and then all of a sudden you realize how it affects your day, your work, and your mind, and your physique. You just don't notice the effects when you're younger because then you're so invincible, but then it became something that I was really struggling with. And the more I worried about it, the harder it was. And the harder I tried, I would start to count the cracks in the walls. I'd start to watch the clock. Every night was like walking the plank. And the more I thought about it, the harder it was to fall asleep. In 2022, we may not be surprised by such words, but we may be surprised to hear who said them. For these restless words were recorded in a very recent interview in People magazine and were candidly shared by the Hollywood icon Jennifer Aniston. And though I can't relate much to a Californian actress who has a net worth of $300 million, and, and though I don't read much People magazine, there was something about Jennifer Aniston's words that really struck a chord with the people. And so much so that Jennifer Aniston has recently teamed up with a pharmaceutical company to promote a new US TV advertising campaign entitled Seize the Night and the Day. Seize the Night and the Day. And the very simple reason is that America is not sleeping. Medical research tells us today that 70 million Americans have chronic sleep problems. 50% of all children in America will develop such issues. 30, um, 30, three quarters, rather, of high schoolers are already not sleeping. And one in three American adults do not sleep more than six hours. And of those people, a third now use some sort of substance, vitamins, supplements, and increasingly marijuana to get them to sleep. And so what is the cause of this rise in restlessness? Well, the scientist that Aniston has teamed up with tells us that the, the problem stems from a number of modern issues. Uh, we down more caffeine, we don't down the phone, we eat more than our ancestors, and we eat less than our ancestors, and like Aniston, many of us now sleep with our pets. In short, we've not educated ourselves in how to seize the night, and so we cannot seize the day. And yet, if you dig a little bit deeper into the research, there is a more timeless reason why we are restless. And that is actually because of the phrase, seize the day. For the famous phrase, seize the day, carpe diem, was originally written by a Roman poet called Horace, and in the full phrase in that ancient ode, it says, seize the day because you cannot know the future. Seize the day because you cannot know the future. Accordingly, that the timeless reason why many of us can't sleep is because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And though that a recognition of that uncertain future may cause some of us to cry at our desk, seize the day, a recognition of that uncertain future causes many more people to cry in their beds, I cannot seize the night. And so many of us lie awake, restless, 
stressed in the early hours, waiting for the light at the edges of our blinds to come, and all the while plagued by the notion that we will remain in the dark about what each morning brings. Friends, I wonder if that's you. If it is, you're not alone. For, for that age-old reason is why many are too stressed to sleep, too restless to rest, because we don't know what will happen. And even if we were to ascend to the highest positions of, of ruling society, making it onto the, the, the modern-day rich list and onto the front pages of the beauty magazines, just like Jennifer Aniston, many of us will remain restless for the uncertainty of our future has kept humanity up for many a millennium. And so, friends, if we turn to Daniel chapter 2 and turn back in history two and a half millennium, and to our first verse this morning, it should be of no surprise to us to meet another celebrity struggling to sleep. For look with me to Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the reign, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Point one this morning. Restless, the men of earth cannot reveal the mystery of the future. Restless. The men of the earth cannot reveal the mystery of the future. King Nebuchadnezzar, who we met last week, cannot sleep, and though uh, we know lots of, about him through ancient history and much about this 6th century BC ruler who lived in, in modern-day Iraq, uh, the history books do not tell us how much coffee he drank or whether he limited his screen time before bed. If the last chapter was anything to go on, perhaps he ate too much food, and yet... Indigestion is not the root cause of the king's restlessness, was it? Rather, verse 2, the king had a nightmare. And in that society, that meant that he was now very fearful of his future and the future of his kingdom. For in ancient Near Eastern society, polytheists, just like the king here, believed that dreams were the way in which the gods spoke to you about your life and death. And although it's pretty rare in the Bible to see the one true creator God at revealing the future through dreams, it's clear that a sovereign God can speak through dreams, and occasionally God did reveal the future in this way. Accordingly, King Neb is shaken to his very core, for even his own religion told him that this dream was a divine prediction about his future, and on the surface, it doesn't look very good, does it? After all, we later find out that it comprises of a scary statue and a lethal stone being thrown and everything turning to dust. And so despite the fact this king has all the riches of an A-list celebrity and was on the front pages of all the magazines and was also in his prime, in his 30s, the same age as when Jennifer Aniston struggled with her insomnia, verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar's spirit was deeply troubled. The king is more than a bit tired. He's terrified. For his future and the future of his kingdom is a mystery. And friends, because of that, I think our very first response as Christians is to actually feel sorry for the king. In our popularist era, it's easy to kind of snipe at those at the top, isn't it? To scoff at the, the star celebrity struggling to sleep in their, in their Californian mansion or in the White House and not to empathize with those who, who carry the weight of their future and, and many other peoples too. 
Perhaps one very minor side application of this passage is that we should pray for those in authority, for bosses and for police chiefs and for principals and congressmen and women and presidents, that the people who wield power would be able to sleep well. For what happens when such people don't? Well, their restlessness has far-reaching results, and, and verses 1 to 13 are case in point here. For the king's lack of sleep gives him all the patience of a toddler who has missed nap time. The king brings in his wise men, verse 2, and he tells them he's had a bad dream in verse 3. And yet, verse 5, he's not going to tell them what that dream is about, for he thinks that they are just going to tell him what he wants to hear. And so the king doesn't want any lies. Verse 9, he wants the truth. And so these wise men must interpret the mystery of what lies ahead without having even heard the dream. And if they work it out, well, verse 6, they will receive gifts and rewards and honor. But if they don't, verse 5, their houses shall lie in ruins and they shall be torn limb from limb. No doubt it was a fairly effective spur to get these civil servants back to work. Indeed, we may imagine the magicians there scurrying to load up all the war maps of the region and the enchanters, getting on the phone with, with foreign affairs and the, the sorcerers plotting the, the future of the Babylonian economy, and the Chaldeans, the national priests of Babylon, praying to the gods just to cover all the bases. But the problem is, is that these mere men have absolutely nothing to go on. They ask the king about his dream in verse 4, and they ask him a second time in verse 7. But in verse 10, the priests rightly conclude, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For look at verse 11. Look carefully at what they say. They say, no one. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. What is the simple point of this back and forth between the, the, the drawing board of the learned and the throne room of a king in a temper tantrum? Well, it is to underscore the restlessness that comes when we realize that the men and women of this earth cannot reveal the mystery of our future. For humans do not dwell in heaven. Humans are not clothed in immortality. No, all who live on earth are trapped in flesh and time. And the people that the king has surrounded him only underscore that point further. For as we saw last week, these wise men had the very highest IQ scores. They had the most beautiful of faces for, for, for gleaning all the data, and they were given knowledge of numerous languages, and they were well-versed in the finest of literature. But this university of kind of good-looking geeks gathered up from all over the globe cannot give the king knowledge of his future, and therefore cannot give him rest because they do not know the details of the decade ahead any more than the dullard down the road, for they are all mere men. And friends, if we're honest, that is all of us too. We live over two millennium after King Nebuchadnezzar, but our restless desire to see the future, and, and yet our inability to know it, keeps us up. The celebrity may respond by going to New York to hear the likes of Lisa Bodell, CEO of FutureThink. The commoner may just go down Nolansville Road to hear Laura from Nashville Psychic Center. 
but the results are just as unsatisfactory. For human wisdom and knowledge is limited. The future of our tomorrow is closed off, and so tonight our eyes often stay open. We lie awake. As questions bounce around our heads, what will the next year bring? Will I still have a job? Who will I marry? Will COVID return? Will there be a war? When will the world end? Where is all this headed? And what's the point? And left to ourselves, we don't know, for we are limited creatures. And when our human limits are exposed in that way, often we don't only get anxious, but we get angry. And when anger and power are blended together, the final results are rather unsavory. And we see that verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar's decree went out, all the wise men of Babylon are to be destroyed. So what happens next? What happens next in this exciting historical drama? Well, as we turn to verse 14, and do look there, we meet a man. We meet a man who is set up as the very antithesis to this king throughout this whole chapter. For this man has very little earthly power. In fact, he's probably just a teenage boy at the time. And moreover, he was just an immigrant boy. He didn't even have the power of citizenship. And in contrast to the king, who fears potential death, this man is already on death row. For the boy Daniel, that we learned about last week, was captured by the Babylonians when they besieged Jerusalem and had been transported, if you remember, to Shinar, the epicenter of Babylonian power, and was a wise man in training. Accordingly, if anyone should have been sleepless in Shinar, and it's far from romantic comedy, it should have been the man Daniel. And yet in striking contrast, Daniel is a picture of rest. And so second point this morning, rest The God of heaven has revealed the mystery of the future. Rest, the God of heaven has revealed the mystery of the future. The setup couldn't be more different, could it? The king shouts, verse 5, death to my subjects. But Daniel, verse 14, speaks to the king's subjects with prudence and discretion. The king screams, time is running out, verse 8. And yet Daniel sighs, verse 15. Why is this so urgent? And when the king is uncertain, verse 10, he turns to the men of earth. And Daniel, verse 18, he turns to the God of heaven. And so most obvious contrast of all, verse 19, whilst the king continues to toss and turn in his bed, Daniel now sleeps on death row. For Daniel rests not in man but God. He prays at his bedside, he climbs into bed, and then, verse 19, then the mystery was revealed in a vision of the night. Now, the encouraging contrast uh, between the the man of God and the man of the gods was no doubt uh, clear as day to Old Testament Israel, but how are you and I, if we are Christians, to apply this to ourselves today? Well, the first and perhaps most obvious application for us is, is that Christians who have had the mysteries of God revealed to them, must also be marked by rest. Christians are to be marked by rest. Now, don't mishear me here. Christians still struggle to sleep for all kinds of reasons. Christians are often just as guilty when it comes to late-night coffees and playing Wordle in bed. And Christians are sadly just as prone to sleep apnea and restless leg syndrome. 
But Christians are not to be restless people, either by day or by night, because like Daniel, they know the future. They know the answers to the key questions of life and death, and they know the answer to the great mystery of God, for there is a God who came to dwell with flesh. You see, in verse 11, the priests are, in a sense, absolutely right. Human wisdom is limited for seeing the future, and the only hope is for the divine to dwell with flesh. And in this respect, their cry reminds me a little bit of Plato's cave. Because in the analogy of of Plato's cave, which you may remember from high school, or you may have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, in Plato's cave analogy, all humanity is pictured as trapped in a cave, chained to a wall and facing this blank wall. And humanity watches all the shadows on the wall. And humanity thinks that the shadows are reality, even though they're just projected on the wall from objects passing in front of a fire. And Plato's basic point is that humanity must, be, must hope to be freed from the cave and go out into the sunshine of reality and so be educated in math and logic and sociology to be able to see what is real. But the problem with Plato's analogy is that for the most important realities of this life, for the real mysteries of our future and questions of why and where are we going, an education in human wisdom is not the answer. For no human can escape the cave of time and space. No, what we need is for someone to come from outside of the cave of limited human wisdom and to tell us the wonderful heavenly realities. What we need, as the priests admit, is for God to come down into the cave and to free us from a restlessness by revealing the mystery of what it is all about. And in Jesus Christ, wonderfully we get that. Jesus is Emmanuel, God dwelling in flesh, dwelling with flesh. And Colossians 2 tells us, Very bluntly, the mystery of God is Christ. The mystery and epicenter of all human history is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that Jesus Christ will return to reign. And Jesus himself revealed those realities, didn't he? He he revealed them to all who would trust and, and listen so that such truth might set them free from all their restlessness Indeed, if you remember back to uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 11, he said to his disciples there, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And the result of that revelation given to his followers was meant to make them rest. Let me say that again. The result of Jesus' revelation about the kingdom of God was meant to bring them rest. And that is why Jesus gets so annoyed with his disciples just a few verses later. For can you remember Mark chapter 4? Jesus has just explained for a whole chapter the mystery of God and explained the unstoppable plan of God's kingdom. And so Jesus gets in the boat and he falls asleep. But what do his disciples do? Well, they do a King Nebuchadnezzar. A storm arises, they're petrified, their future seems in great peril, and they shout in Jesus' face, Don't you care if we die? What is Jesus' response? 
Well, after calming the restless wind and waves, he asks them, do you still have no faith? Friend, the one who listens to Jesus' revelation is the one who should find rest like Daniel, for the future has been revealed to us too. Indeed, we know more than Daniel did. We know that Christ did come, that he did come to save, that he shall return to reign forever, for he has risen from the dead. And so the Christian is not restless. The Christian, in contrast to the world, is marked by a wonderful rest. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. Oh, that dark future. The present may be well, but ah, the next wind may wither all the flowers, and then where shall you be? Clutch thy gold, miser, for riches make to themselves wings and fly away. Hug that baby to thy breast, mother, for the rough hand of death may rob thee of it. Look and cherish thy fame, O man of ambition, for one slight report shall wound thee to the heart, and thou shalt sink as low as thou hast ever been lifted high by the voices of the multitude. Ah, the future. All persons have need to dread the future except the Christian. For God has given his beloved people a happy sleep with regard to the events of the coming time, with the anticipation of their Savior's face, and so he rocks the cradle for us every night. He draws the curtain of darkness. He bids the sun shut up his burning eyes, and then he comes and says, sleep. Sleep, my child. I give thee sleep. For those who have been given by God the mystery of the future, they rest. Like Daniel, they may hear of a coming storm, but they may turn to the God of heaven and pray and remember his sovereignty and their salvation and their certain future and may soundly sleep. Friends, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege in this increasingly restless world to know exactly where it is heading and where we are going if we listen to Jesus and trust in him. I have a second application just at this juncture. Those who know the mysteries of God, just like Daniel, have the responsibility to reveal them to the restless. What does Daniel do the very next morning? Well, verse 24, having been given wisdom and insight from God, the teenager jumps straight out of bed and demands a face-to-face meeting with the king himself. One may imagine Daniel's great reluctance to tell this unhinged dictator anything, to just keep this knowledge in his back pocket. But Daniel knows that the mystery of God must not be concealed, but must be revealed to all. And if you have any doubt about that, just look with me to that little footnote in your Bible at verse 4. For there, if you just follow that footnote, you'll see that Daniel's writing from this point on is in Aramaic. And it's in Aramaic all the way to chapter 7 which is really, really odd because 99% of the rest of the Old Testament is all written in Hebrew. But this section is in Aramaic because Aramaic was the language of the people. It was known by everyone in the Middle East from king to commoner. Accordingly, can you see, Daniel desires that this restless king and that everybody else in this restless world might know the revelation from heaven and know the mystery of God revealed. Sure, Daniel was motivated to save his own life and his friend's life, 
But the language chain in verse 4, that change in verse 4, points to the fact that Daniel also is deeply motivated by a restlessness in those he saw all around him. Friends, if we would call ourselves Christians, if we would say that we love all people, that is to be our desire and our duty too. For we are called, 1 Corinthians 4, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. One of our primary callings as Christians is to speak that message. And yet very sadly, in our worst moments, many of us can delight in a restless world, can't we? Some Christians seem to enjoy it when the Jennifer Aniston's of this world are agitated when the smartest of scientists cannot sleep and, and when the atheist cannot answer the question of, of, of why and, and what's the point. In our slightly better moments, uh, Christians feel sorry uh, for their restless friends, uh, and yet they often seek their remedy not with any revelation, but with rhetoric, saying, I, I, I don't need to think much about tomorrow. Just be wise. I'm, I'm sure the future will be clear to you. You're a wonderful person. Just look at your career. I'm sure it'll all work out in the end. But in our very best moments, Christians like Daniel boast of no wisdom in themselves. They say, verse 30, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have any more wisdom than anyone else, but in order that God may give your mind rest. Friends, in our very best moments, Christians have restless, unbelieving friends, and they humbly give them the revelation graciously given to them by God because they deeply empathize with such restless people and they know what it is like to be sleepless. And so they give them the hope of a certain future. Friends, we must not give people worldly wisdom alone and think that that is kindness enough to them. We must ultimately give them Jesus who said, come to me, all who are weary and I will give you rest. And so in verse 31, uh, Daniel reveals the dream and returning to our story and speeding up, we learn that the king had a nightmare about the statue and a statue that comprised of four shiny metals and the top of the statue, that's the shiniest part for the head of the statue is made of fine gold and its face was frighteningly bright. But then as the kind of camera pans down to the chest, The shininess is still there, but it's not quite as bright for the chest is made of silver. And then the same thing happens again for the middle of the statue is less shiny again for the stomach and the thighs are made of bronze. And the final piece of the statue is the least shiny for the legs are made of, of iron and bits of clay. And then, in some sort of kind of weird cartoon-like manner, a natural, non-man-made stone is thrown at the feet of the statue, and the whole statue just just, just is obliterated. It shatters into a million pieces, and all the gold, and all the silver, and all the bronze, and all the iron, all become like chaff of the summer threshing floor, like little bits at the end of a pack of cereal. And verse 35, the wind carries them away, so that no trace of them can be found. What does this crazy cartoon dream mean? Well, Daniel reveals it in verse 36, and he starts with some quite good news. The statue represents four kingdoms, and the shiniest and the scariest kingdom is Babylon. For verse 39, King Neb is the head. And when the golden 
Babylonian Empire will end, an inferior silver kingdom shall rise up. And then after that, another inferior kingdom of bronze, and finally, a fourth kingdom of iron. And from our historical vantage point, that the kingdoms are actually fairly easy to identify. The golden kingdom is the kingdom of Babylon, which will last another 60-odd years. The silver kingdom is the, is the Medo-Persian Empire, which comes next from from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. And then the, the Bronze Kingdom is the ancient Greek Empire, which lasts another 200 years. And then finally, the Iron Age is the Roman Empire, which will begin to hold sway about at 197 B.C. But far more important than any history lesson and the order of those kingdoms of the ancient world, far more important than knowing about how many rooms there'd be in the British Museum, Far more important than any of that was their reaction to God's revelation about what would happen to those shiny kingdoms of earth and their reaction to God's revelation about what kingdom he would establish in the end. No doubt the dream would have been of great interest to these great intellectuals, but the critical factor is how they will respond to it. And so how do these two respond to God's revelation? Well, again, the response to God's revelation couldn't be more different, could it? Which brings us to our third point. Remember, the shiny kingdoms of this earth shall be shattered. Remember, the shiny kingdoms of earth shall be shattered. First of all, how does the king respond to this? Well, in the first instance, his response is, is appropriate. For the king, verse 46, pays homage to Daniel. And Daniel gets a pay rise and a promotion, verse 48. And in verse 49, he even gets to have his three best friends come work with him in the Capitol building. And we ought to recognize the speck of humility. At first, in the king's response, for the king admits that, that Daniel's God is the God of gods, that the God who reveals the mysteries, verse 49. And yet, what aspect of the revelation of God is the king finally focused upon? What does the king remember from the dream such that he is able to sleep again at night? Well, ultimately, it's only verses 36 to 39, isn't it? For seemingly, the king only listens to the first part of God's revelation. For all the king really remembers is the knowledge that in this life, he's golden. And that what comes after him is inferior. He's the golden head of civilization. Blessed by God. For verse 38, just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, he has been appointed by God to rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And how do we know? How do we know that this is what the king finally remembers from the dream? Well, if I may, just for a second, reach into next week's passage to just grab one verse. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. The revelation that he has been blessed in this life, that he is the golden boy of this millennium, causes him to make a statue of all gold that people may rejoice in him and live with the illusion that all of this will last forever. What an amazing picture of human pride and worldly refusal to see beyond the present. What a picture of someone who remembers only the flattering parts of God's word. The king should have been humbled. He should have praised God for his present blessings and been humbled by the fact that his destiny 
dynasty rather would end. Humbled by the fact that another would come after him. Humbled that his rule would just pass into the almanacs of time. And ultimately humbled by the fact that every shiny kingdom of this world will be shattered in the end. But the king only sees himself in the present. Made precious in the image of God. Made to rule for a few golden years. And he fails to see that very soon he will be judged. Judged on the threshing floor where the wheat and the chaff will be separated. And that his selfishness and his wickedness and pride will all amount to the bits at the end of a pack of cereal. And so, my friends, what about you? How do you respond to the revelation of God? How do you respond to the mystery of the gospel How do you respond to the message of Christianity that you, like Adam, have been made to rule? That you, like King Nebuchadnezzar, have been given many responsibilities in this world and been given many golden blessings, but that you will be judged in the end for how you have ruled in this life? What will you remember from God's message? Friends, perhaps you're visiting here this morning. Uh, Perhaps your uh, restlessness prompted you to come along. If so, please know that you are, you are very, very welcome here. For we believe that every person is precious. Whether you are a golden uh, Nashville celebrity, or whether you shine out in our city as an ordinary piece of iron. Friends, we believe that every man and woman is like a piece of precious metal here on earth, having been given authority by God to rule. And yet, that is not the only thing we want you to remember. For we also believe that God says that every person will have their day and that every kingdom of earth shall be shattered at the very last day. And so, my friend, in this restless world, what will you go out and seek to build? Having heard the revelation of God this morning, what are you building your life upon? In that recent interview, Jennifer Aniston revealed that previous restlessness is now all gone, and that she is in a really peaceful place. But what is the reason for that? Well, aside from yoga and watching the sunset every day, Aniston says, quote, now I have faith in a bigger picture, I guess. I believe in humanity. Even though there's so much to discourage us from believing in it, but I do. I have a good heart. I'm a great friend. I lead with love. I am just a very blessed human being. Friends, what short-term shininess do you seek to secure your life with such that you may sleep? Yes, friends, on one level, we are to remember that we're precious. In a sense, Aniston is right. But if you think that you can walk away from Daniel chapter 2 thinking that your restlessness will end, the more you remember the shininess of humanity and yourself as the present golden pinnacle of that idol, then you have sorely missed what God has revealed then and now. For point three, the shiny kingdoms of this earth shall be shattered. And Nebuchadnezzar fails to remember it, and by the start of chapter three, has actually rejected it. Friends, all of us are to be warned by this king. But very finally, in the last few minutes, what of Daniel? What of Daniel? How does Daniel model for us the correct response to God's revelation? Final point this morning, rejoice. 
the stony kingdom of heaven shall stand forever. Rejoice, the stony kingdom of heaven shall stand forever. In verse 44, we uh, discover an alternative kingdom to the earthly kingdoms. For verse 44, look with me, and in the days of those kings, that's in context, is in the days of the the kings living in in the fourth kingdom, that is of the Roman Empire, in those days, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in a, to pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Friends, can you see what happens? And what is amazingly revealed 600 years before it occurs, God will fling a stone, and the civilizations of mankind will fall. And that stone will be, will be launched in the period of the Roman Empire, and will crush all the pride of humanity. For that stone represents an eternal kingdom, which verse 35 will become like a mountain filling the whole earth. Friends, I trust that the punchline is glorious and obvious to you. But nevertheless, we're going to Luke chapter 21 as we close. Come with me. Luke chapter 21, verse 40. Luke chapter 21, verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Friends, can you see what Jesus is saying about himself? Just before he goes to a Roman cross, just before he dies and rises again, just before he throws himself at the proud kingdoms of this world, he says, I am the stone who can crush. Mine is the kingdom that will stand forever. Mine is the kingdom that will fill the whole earth. Mine is the kingdom who will crush all who build an image unto themselves and reject me. I am the cornerstone of all history. And so what is the right response to God's revelation? Well, Daniel models it for us perfectly in verse 20 to 23. The mystery is revealed to Daniel. And before he even reveals it to the king, Before he writes it down in Aramaic so that everybody can learn from it, the very first thing he does, the thing that he cannot help but do, is rejoice in God. And friends, above anything else, I hope that that is how you walk out of here in a few minutes. Having heard God's revelation this morning, more than being freed from from restlessness, more than finding rest in the plans of God, more than rightly remembering the future, Friend, I hope you leave here rejoicing like Daniel, marveling at the sovereignty of God. Daniel, who heard the mystery of the God of heaven and sang, verse 20, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. 
to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give you thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and now have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Friends, let us pray now so that we too may rejoice in all that God has done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we are often restless. And Father, we confess our failure to remember that we are limited creatures, limited in wisdom. And so we do not really rule at all. Father, we confess that your Son is King and that wonderfully his kingdom shall never fail. And so, Father, would you please give us rest in you. Help us to be comforted and humbled by him, by his eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.